Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture. It's in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nutter, creative editor. Tim, how are you doing? Doing very well, David. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we've also got back to talk about the litany of television news uh, coming out of this year's upfronts and lots of announcements on what shows are coming back, what shows are being added. We've got Jason Lynch, Adweek's television reporter. Jason, good to have you back. Happy to be here. And also back is uh, Christine Berkner, a staff writer at Adweek covering the brand marketing world. Christine, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. All right. Uh, we have uh, some really interesting stuff to talk about. A lot of uh, announcements, as I mentioned, coming out of the upfronts uh, and uh big scheduling issues on television, and I'm glad we've got Jason here to run it all down because, man, there is just a lot to talk about. But first, the news. All right. Well, it's uh, pretty rare that you see a a major brand pull an ad uh, off television or off YouTube uh, these days. Uh, Pepsi obviously was one of the big ones recently, but we've had two in just a few days. Uh, One was McDonald's uh, pulling an ad uh, that was well, Tim, I'll let you describe. What was this ad about, and, uh, and and where did it run? This was not an American ad, right? No, this was a British ad done by Leo Burnett over in London. And, you know, Leo Burnett London has a history of doing pretty great uh, commercials for, uh, for McDonald's, but this one did not go so well, to say the least. Uh, it's the story of a boy who has lost his father and has no memory of his dad. Um, so he asks his mom uh, what his dad was like, which kind of kicks, kicks off this you know, fairly poignant story. Maybe we could just listen to a clip first before we uh, discuss what, what went wrong with it. Mom. Yes, love? What was dad like? He was big and cuddly, your dad. Tall as an house. Big, big hands. Come on, little one. He was never scruffy. Always smart. And his shoes. So shiny, you could see your face in it. 
so yeah, as you can hear, the you know the point is everything that she says about his father. Um, the kid kind of realizes that he's not like that at all, and it, and it, it you know this tension happens in the ad. You know, the father apparently was a ladies' man. He was good at sports. He was well dressed. The kid is none of these things. And he's clearly anxious. And then at the very end of the ad, uh, the mom and her son uh, arrive at McDonald's. The kid gets a filet of fish, and the mom says that was dad's favorite too. So the kid kind of finally feels relieved that he has something in common with his dad. Um, so initially, McDonald's kind of defended this ad. It was a pretty, pretty uh, immediate outcry from, from certain people. Um, apparently, a lot of kids in the UK who were watching this commercial and had lost uh, parents themselves were very upset by it. Uh, it is, you know, really nicely shot. The storytelling's pretty well done. Um, but, you know, obviously the, there's a problem at the end here where, you know, in some ways, like the the Kendall Jenner ad in a way, uh, it kind of presents the product here as, as a solution, you know, to a problem that's way bigger and more difficult to solve than, you know, a filet of fish is probably capable of. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I think uh, maybe, you know, potentially something like this could play out in real life, you know, anecdotally, but, you know, that's, uh, to me, that's not the only thing the brand really should have considered here. They should have said, look, a filet of fish is not a solution to a grieving child. Let's not run this ad. But they did anyway. And, uh, you know, it also kind of called to mind the nationwide ad from the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. You know, these a topic like death is a pretty big one for any advertiser to try to tackle. And when you when you insert your product as the solution, um, it's a good way to to get an outcry. So, you know, craft wise, I think it was skillfully done, but it, it really missed the forest for the trees in, in a major way. Now, how would you compare this to the ad we wrote about? I think it was a spec ad, but that we wrote about a year or two ago with the, the two brothers uh, kind of walking around and talking about their, their past. Do you remember the one I'm talking about? It was a, a spec ad for a, like Johnny Walker, maybe? Yeah, I believe it was Johnny Walker. Yeah, it was called Dear Brother. And uh, yeah, well, first of all, that was a spec ad, right? So it wasn't approved by Johnny Walker. And second of all, I think it, it dealt with death in, in you know, a, a much a much better way. It wasn't, it didn't, it didn't involve children. You know, as soon as you start talking about kids and, and their deceased parents, you know, it's uh, it's very, very tricky. Um, you know, and, and you know, it, there is a trend lately with advertisers trying to tackle, you know, a bit more taboo or, or weightier family topics. You know, Ikea did that, that commercial about divorce recently. Um, but you know, I think, like I said, I think death is really a, a very, very difficult topic for advertisers to deal with. And they usually don't. And you know, when you, when you throw the filet of fish in at the end, I mean, it was like. Why did they pick the filet fish? That's what I want to know. That's like, a good question. You know, and we, I have no idea. And we were—it's like the grossest thing on the menu. Well, we were we were talking about the McRib earlier. In our Slack <laughs> Do they not have the McRib <laughs> in our Slack <laughs> yeah. channel? You know, in a way, this could have worked well for the McRib because that's a terrible product, and this is a terrible ad. So maybe that would have worked. <laughs> right. Right. Um, the uh, so shortly after we published our article about this, uh, as we record this t- today on Tuesday, uh, the ad was pulled. Uh, correct. Uh, so, did the brand say anything when they when they pulled the ad? They did. They said, you know, sorry that we offended you. Actually, they apologized initially, but but said that they were going to keep running it, which was kind of strange. Uh, and then uh, eventually, they said, well, we're, we're we are going to pull it. And they they let me find the. Uh, 
let me find the statement because it really doesn't bode so well for um, for Leo Burnett uh, that uh, they said we're going to review the creative process to ensure nothing like this happens again. So you know, it's like, probably... oh, do you see that bus over there? <laughs> You're going right <laughs> under it. <laughs> yeah, we will review our creative process to ensure the situation never occurs again. So I'm sure Leo Burnett has seen that and probably licking the wounds. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those ads too that it's it is really nicely done, and in in a similar way that the nationwide ad from the Super Bowl was actually really crafted really nicely, and I think agencies sometimes get caught up in that where they're making something really beautiful and and visually kind of interesting, and it is a pretty nice way to tell this story in some ways. But then, you know, and maybe there would be a way. You know, to have it not be as offensive at the end. Just this idea that the fillet fish solves solves this poor boy's problem is is you know. Yeah, it really is just. It's a storytelling issue. Like if it had ended with the mom telling him all the things he did have in common with his dad, and the fillet fish is just in the background. You know what I mean? Like, right? There's a way you could have done this where the the answer is not. But don't worry, you both loved fried fish sandwiches covered in mayonnaise. We, we uh, as I mentioned, we had another pretty major brand pull an ad. Uh, this one actually surprised me. I didn't think it was all that bad or controversial compared to some of the ones. It was Skittles, uh, a Mother's Day ad uh, they ran, where essentially um, I, I don't think if we really need to play a, a, any audio from it, but uh, it's basically just a grown man with his mom eating Skittles, and as she eats them, he can taste them, and it's because when they pull back, they still have an umbilical cord attached to each other. And then in a weird, uh, I just realized, a weird tie-in to the McDonald's ad, it ends with him saying, I miss dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. I think uh, the Skittles ad was just, obviously, it's more goofy. This is a brand that's been joking about anatomical oddities for a long, long time. (laughs) You know, you go back to the classic spots that Jerry Graff did at Chiat like, probably more than 10 years ago now. Um, One of them, I remember in particular, showed a, a man in a stable who was being milked. He was hooked up to a milking machine. And the farmer comes in and complains that the milk he's producing is too sour. And it turns out it's because the guy's been eating sour Skittles. And so I, I, this one is not that much weirder than that one. I think I think maybe just because it was a Mother's Day thing and it, you know, it probably took the grossness to maybe an unacceptable level. So they did end up pulling the ad. I believe, I'm not sure it was on TV. I know that they pulled it off, off YouTube. Um, but, uh, you know, it, you, it's also notable what, what uh, Wrigley told me about the Skittles ad. They said, we made this video for every mom who likes gross jokes and we're taking it down for every mom who doesn't. So they even, they even <laughs> had some fun... They even had some fun with the, uh, you know, with, with the uh, press statement um, about the removal. So definitely a different level. I don't think too many people were so horribly offended by the Mother's Day, by the Skittles thing. Um, but, it, but yeah, probably something that, uh, that wasn't destined to stay up on YouTube too long. Yeah, a little bit of a manufactured story there. You know, Skittles has always done a really good job of balancing these kind of, like, darkness with the humor. Uh, you know, my, my all-time favorite, I think Eric Coleman wrote this guy who did uh, the Old Spice Man Your Man Could Smell Like, uh, but it was the one where the guy, everything he touches turns to Skittles. Yeah, uh, that's perhaps the best Skittles ad ever. Yeah, and the guy, and someone says, that's awesome. And he goes, is it? Is it awesome to never be able to hold your grandbaby in your hands? <laughs> And like it and just gets so dark so fast. I love that ad. And you know, uh, the, the actress who plays Flo in the product progressive commercials is actually in that commercial too. She's like the, oh, the, the woman who comes over and is like marveling at the guy touching that everything he touches. So it's like this crazy sort of. If you want to geek out on advertising, that's 
that's one spot to do it. All right. Well, thank you for rounding up those uh, pulled ads of the week. Uh, definitely check out adweek.com. Click on our creativity section. You can find a lot more coverage of that and many more uh, weird ads that Tim rounds up each week. And we'll be talking about our ads worth watching uh, in just a minute. These were the ads ads worth pulling uh, section <laughs> we've already covered. Uh, the other piece of news I wanted to talk about, just because it kind of completes the cycle, is Instagram has basically finished cloning uh, Snapchat. They finally added... Uh, face filters to their, uh, you know, the the thing that kind of was iconic about Snapchat of being able to put, I don't know, dog noses or whatever on your face. Uh, as of today, Instagram has uh, basically that exact same feature. They even launched it with uh, bunny ears and a nose, which literally looks exactly like uh, what Snapchat's been doing. I'm just kind of what, what this has been. Uh, a fascinating, uh, you know, process of watching all of these uh, major, I mean, Facebook-owned properties, but everyone is kind of emulating what Snapchat did until the point where now all these apps pretty much seem the same. Uh, Jason, do you actually use any of these apps? Do you do you uh, feel like anyone is rising to the fore of, of your day-to-day life? Uh, I'm using Instagram more than I used to, but I really, I'm barely on Snapchat. Um, certainly my my kids have discovered it and that's kind of one of their favorites. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I see more on Instagram these days. Obviously, I've been writing a lot about how every network is trying to become involved with Snapchat and like they feel like Snapchat is kind of like their, their uh, you know, entry into uh, reaching millennials. But uh, it's still kind of not clear on the TV side whether um, – you know, to, to what degree these these uh, these social apps really provide, you know, a strong enough foothold uh, beyond kind of wishful thinking at this point. Yeah, I feel like w- w- the biggest thing that Instagram's cloning of Snapchat's done for me is that there's a lot of stuff I used to not want to post to Instagram because it just didn't feel pretty enough. Like Instagram just has this aesthetic minimum of like, it's got to look a certain perfectness. And now I'm just like with their stories man, I'll put like, I don't know, here's a picture of a building and here's a mediocre sunset, whatever. Anyway, that was my trip to New York. Like it's, it's a lot easier to be just dumping photos on there and not sweating it so much about the constant editing and filtering. So Maybe that's a success there. All right. Well, that's our quick roundup of the uh, news because we've got a lot of news in our big discussion section of the week coming up in just a few minutes when we talk about the the TV announcements of the week. But first, Tim's going to round up this week's ads worth watching. Tim, what have you got this week? Well, first I wanted to quickly talk about the new Getty Images campaign uh, from AllMap BBDO down in Brazil. This is an agency that's done really great work for Getty Images for a long, long time. Going back about five years, you guys might remember uh, the From Love to Bingo spot. Um, I think they they took 873 uh, stills from the Getty archive to tell uh, a story of a person's life in, in 60 seconds, and it was really beautifully done. They've also they've done really great uh, print ads as well over the years. Um, but this year they did something different. You know, not a lot of people know that Getty also has a pretty vast trove of sound effects uh, and audio files that you can use, stock audio. So to bring that to life, they uh, all map kind of did this pretty cool project where they got their creatives on this on this project to they took the 1922 silent film Nosferatu and uh, they gave it a soundtrack using only uh, audio from Getty Images and so it's called uh, the campaign was called Not Silent Film and it's pretty cool maybe we could just take a brief snippet of the trailer for for the for the movie um, and listen to a few seconds of it here because it is pretty interesting Getty Images presents Nosferatu. 
The non-silent film. The classic silent film from 1922. Now with a whole new sound design developed with Getty Images, music, and sound effects. A new soundtrack. Sound effects. And even voices. Hey, Nerone. I mean, I just love the idea of this, you know, it's a pretty ambitious idea to take a, a you know, a, an entire silent film and kind of do a score based on, on stock photos, or, I'm sorry, stock uh, audio. And, and a lot of stock uh, image places have done interesting stunts over the years, but this is one of my, you know, one of my favorites. Um, it's a, obviously a kind of a dark film. So a lot of what's in, you know, a lot of the audio they use was kind of gloomy, but then the sound effects are pretty awesome too. And yeah, just, you know, for me, this was uh, just another winner from from this agency client team. Great. What else uh, were you watching this week? So also wanted to mention one other thing about Mother's Day um, that was a little bit more uh, pleasant to watch than the Skittles ad. And this was the the Brawny commercial. You know, we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, Snapchat uh, a minute ago. So what Brawny did through their agency Cutwater um, was they, they used Snapchat spectacles to take footage from children's point of view. And so they've got, they, I think they got four families. They got the, the director, Karen X, to do this, who she's involved in stuff like this, kind of real family uh, shoots. So they got four, uh, four families, and they put Snapchat spectacles on the children in the house. Uh, and these are toddlers. These are not like older kids. These are kids in high chairs, you know, who are making messes, which is where Brawny comes in. So they filmed, I think, for two days in these four homes, and um, they tried to capture as many, you know, happy accidents as they could. Um, I believe uh, Spectacles records in 10-second bursts, so it was a production challenge, I think, just to to capture a lot of this footage. Um, but it, it essentially, in, in the final spot, and they, they took the footage and made a TV commercial out of it, um, you see the mothers, from the kids' point of view, kind of cleaning up, you know, f- spaghetti and milk spills and patching up their knees and... and uh, I don't know. I thought it was a really clever use of of spectacles. I haven't seen a lot of of use of, of spectacles in in, uh, in advertising, to be honest. Um, so it was nice to see that. And I thought uh, Cutwater did a really nice job with this. And you know, kudos for Brawny for uh, you know going with. Obviously, the footage ends up being pretty lo-fi, but um, it gives you this real sort of lived experience when you watch it. And I thought it was really really cute and clever. Yeah, that was one of the first uh, actual uses of spectacles I've seen that. I've found, you know, kind of endearing. And I mean, it's it's really just taking that idea that a lot of people have already done with GoPros of strap your GoPro to every living creature you can find. But uh, <laughs> but still, right. it, it was a nice kind of uh, uh, iteration of that idea. Definitely. And then the final uh, ad I wanted to talk about briefly um, was the the spot that Budweiser did to, to honor Derek Jeter, who had his number retired by the Yankees this past weekend. Uh, it's been about three years, I think, since Jeter retired. I think it was 2014. And, you know, when he did retire, you know, a, a number of advertisers stepped up and did these amazing tributes. You probably remember the Gatorade Made in New York ad that Shia Day did. Um, Jordan Brand did the Respect campaign um, through Widening Kennedy that won all the awards. I think it won the Integrated Grand Prix at Cannes that summer. Um, you know, so it's difficult. Like after a guy like that retires, you know, it, it's it's you don't have a lot of opportunity to to use him in your ads anymore. Um, so this was a, a great opportunity. His having his number retired. Um, so you know, uh, basically, uh, VaynerMedia created this two minute two minute commercial 
Um, and they tied in the idea of the number being retired, but they showed people around New York kind of removing number twos from the signs, like on their storefronts and, and whatever, and putting in Jeter's kind of pinstripe circle number two over the top of it. Um, it's, it's not much to listen to. It's really just a visual piece, but you know, it was pretty, it was really nicely done and it it sort of continues the interesting things Bud has been doing with baseball. You you might remember last year, um, right in, I think it was the first commercial pod after the Cubs won the the world series, uh, Budweiser re-aired one of their old this buds for you ads with, with Harry Carey from the 1980s, uh, the legendary Cubs announcer. So, I mean, that was, that was really awesome. And, uh, this Derek Jeter thing was really nice too. Pretty timely. Great. Well, thank you, as always, for rounding up the ads worth watching this week. And uh, we are ready to move on to our big discussion of the week. All right. Well, it is an epic time right now for the world of television. This is the upfront. Let's start by taking a step back uh, for those listening who aren't in the TV industry or don't care quite as much as we do about it. Jason, what are the upfronts and why are they so important? So the upfronts is this uh, big annual TV event where all the different networks try to uh, get the advertisers to pay uh, pay for next year's advertising kind of in the upfront portion of, of the year. So you, you get it in advance, you get it at a bit of a discount. But we've had, you know, this is the broadcast week, so all the broadcasters are going. But for the past two months, various cable networks have been holding these events, these upfront events, saying, here's our vision for the next year. Here's our schedule. We're the best we're ever going to be. It's kind of almost like uh, the TV industry's version of spring training, where the possibilities are limitless for the next year. And they're trying to entice uh, buyers and advertisers to give up a bunch of money for, uh, you know, for, for their upfront, uh, upfront purchases. What's the perfect upfront going to have? It's going to, I mean, they have have to have like a big announcement. They've got to have something new. They've got to be bringing back something. I mean, what's kind of the formula for a great upfront? I think for an ideal upfront, you want somebody on stage who is either a big name or kind of funny, like Jimmy Kimmel usually does. He won't be doing it this year, but uh, he, he does this uh, this presentation every year at the ABC upfront that, that's basically the equivalent of a roast. So that's always great. Uh, you want some type of big announcement or some big either returning show or big new show that's going to get everybody interesting. Uh, you can also do the same if uh, the, the trailers that you show for a new sh- for the new series just really grabs the audience in some way. So you've got that. And also, you just want a smooth kind of – you want a smooth presentation. You want something that just kind of keeps you know going at a nice clip, doesn't feel like it's dragging. Because this this week especially, we got three three of these a day. And uh, when energy flags, as it did a bit during uh, last last night at Fox, where you had Gordon Ramsay screaming at the audience, wake up. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a little noticeable. So you, you, you want uh, – now, ironically, last year, Fox had a great upfront. And actually, it's the first upfront I've ever been at where the, uh, the audience loved every clip that was shown every every new trailer but uh yeah it's 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 tough there's so many moving parts it's 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 tough to get it perfect well let's talk about a few of the ones uh in no real certain order here abc uh we're we're kind of just found out what all they've got in the works uh and to kind of skip to one of the more interesting announcements because it's already sparking debate around here uh roseanne is coming back a roseanne revival i feel like that was pretty unexpected am, am i wrong uh, well there there were some rumors uh, a couple weeks ago that this was 
in the works, but there wasn't really a timetable on it. Uh, apparently, Netflix was also bidding alongside ABC, which obviously aired it in uh, in the 90s. But there was no indication that today there would be an announcement that they had landed it, which is going to be the case. So uh, Channing Dungey, right before we started recording this, uh, the, the president of ABC, she had a conference call with the TV reporters to talk about the new schedule. The upfront event will be later today, where I'm assuming Roseanne or some members of the cast will be there. But uh, yeah, they are reviving it. There's going to be an eight-episode uh, season coming mid-season. Roseanne's going to be back. John Goodman, literally the entire original cast. And you're probably wondering, well, what about the Beckys? There were two Beckys, and there will be and second Becky, who was Sarah Chalk, who also you know you know from Scrubs and other shows later on. She will be back as well. She will be playing a different role. So they are bringing the entire cast back together. And. I'm a big second Becky fan, so I was I was glad to see that. Uh, were you, uh, Christine? Were you a a Roseanne fan in the in the '90s? Yes, except I dropped out before the controversial, you know, final season. Like I feel ah, like yes. I stopped watching about midway through the show. Um, so we were talking about this earlier, and the what they're going to do? Are they going to bring back Dan since he's technically died in the last season? Um, so what's up with that? Uh, they haven't said any details yet, but my guess would be, you know, that that last season, not only that ending, but really the whole last season was kind of, I think, a mistake that a lot of people would like to forget. And I think the easiest <laughs> thing will just be to ignore that it even happened. And you yeah. can kind of pass the whole thing off as a dream, even though there was a dream within that season. But I think that's going to be the easiest way to to uh, to, to deal with that. Uh, the other big news out of ABC today, in addition to the Roseanne revival, is that they've confirmed the next season of Scandal will be the last season. Shonda Rhimes had said for years, and it told me a couple years years ago that she had an end date in sight. She always had it in the back of her mind, and she's decided that next season's going to be it. So uh, Scandal's going to come back one last year and then going to go off into the sunset. So this is an intentional uh, cutting off of the show while it's still popular? I mean, how have the ratings been over the arc of Scandal? Uh, the ra- It's not quite as popular as it once was, but... Uh, you know, a lot of linear ratings overall has softened. It's still one of ABC's most popular shows. Shonda has long said that she feels Grey's Anatomy could go on not forever, but pretty close to it. She feels that's a show that can very easily reinvent himself. Where Scandal, she said, we are following Olivia Pope's story. This has an end date. I won't tell you when it is, but it's coming. And today she told us when it is. It's going to be next season. Well, let's talk about uh, NBC. NBC felt like they had a lot to talk about this year. Um, I guess first tell us about uh, you had a really good feature on on uh, Robert Greenblatt, who is our executive of the year in, in our TV hot list. Uh, tell us kind of what has the transformation that NBC has gone through since he came in. Yeah, so when Robert Greenblatt took over NBC in in 2011, uh, the network was in last place, or at least the last place among the big four uh, broadcasters. And and he told me in that story, you know, I knew that the situation was bad, but I had no idea how bad it was until I got here and realized that there was just there was just nothing. All that all the hits had gone. Um, he ended up having to to basically overhaul every department of the network. It took a few years. Uh, it helped that The Voice became a hit a couple months after he took over. And in fact, he told me if The Voice hadn't hit, he may never have found his kind of sea legs and figured things out. But he slowly and methodically uh, rebuilt that network piece by piece. And, you know, he, he sh- 
started to uh, tackle Thursdays again with the blacklist and he 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 built a new franchise with Chicago Med Chicago Fire um he and he 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 got the comedy uh, identity back a little bit and it's been this kind of multi-year process obviously helped by the voice and, and Sunday night football every year but then this year he gets this is us you know the the the, the biggest uh, show the biggest new show on TV and the number two show overall and and he is you know now the network is back at number one in uh in the 18 49 demo that uh, advertisers care about most. It had been there a couple years ago as well. He had built it back, I think, in three years. But this year is more notable because it didn't have the Super Bowl. So even without the Super Bowl, he was able to uh, be on top. And next year, not only does he have the Super Bowl, but he has the Winter Olympics. So he's pretty much assured um, being number one in the demo next year as well. And this is us is going to get the coveted slot right after the Super Bowl this in this coming year, right? It is, yeah. So he already announced a lot of big moves for this is us next season. Uh, first off, it's yes, it's going to be airing after the Super Bowl, so obviously it's going to have a huge ratings bump there. But also, he is making the aggressive scheduling move and moving it from Tuesdays at nine to Thursdays at 9, where first off, it's going to face off against Scandal, which we were just talking about earlier. But that, combined with the revival of Will and Grace, which is going to air Thursdays at 8, uh, has inspired NBC to resurrect the must-see TV moniker, it feels like, between Will and Grace, This Is Us. Uh, it has a new uh, Dick Wolf Law & Order spinoff, um, True Crime spinoff coming uh, at, on Thursdays at 10. So Greenblatt felt like this is the time to 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 dust that off and uh, and have Thursday nights be must-see again on NBC. Now with uh, Will and & Grace and then also, you know, kind of to the point of must-see TV, are all these revivals lately, are they just trying to kind of recapture the glory of 90s uh, network television in the era before uh, TiVo and before streaming? And I mean, what is behind this kind of big rush of revivals? Well, a big part of it is, is first off, uh, just having a brand and having what the networks love to refer to as IP, intellectual property, it's always easier to launch a show with existing IP because there's just less heavy lifting you have to do on the marketing side. Uh, also, something like The X-Files, which was the first one of the first uh, you know, revivals to be really successful, has benefited fr not only from audiences who love the show initially, but people who rediscovered it on Netflix and some of the streaming services. So you're hoping to get that dual audience, both the original fans and, and those who've discovered it in streaming later on. So X-Files was big. Fox is bringing that again back again next season. Prison Break more recently um, was a bit of a – I think Fox is happy with it overall. They said they're hoping to it coming back. Something like Heroes, which tried to come back, didn't work because you only had some of the original characters, not all of them. So the networks have just, have, have realized that to make a revival work like this, you got to have everybody back. Will and Grace has all four, you know, all four of the the cast members has the original creators. Roseanne's coming back, like we said before, with everybody. Um, so that's what X Files, same thing. So that's really kind of the, the 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 secret ingredient to making these revivals work. But one of the things to co to contrast Will and Grace with Roseanne is, you know, we we it's. Will and Grace, all those folks have generally been pretty successful. The guy who played Jack, I don't see him pop up too much. But, you know, the rest of them are, are all doing very well for themselves. They're all still in the pop culture. Roseanne has not been a big you know, name and the uh, John Goodman, by contrast, is in everything. He's always great. I mean, he's a, you know, that 
Cloverfield Lane movie. I mean, he, he his range is really. And we were kind of joking before the podcast about who would have thought he would be the breakout star from Roseanne. But I mean, do they have the cultural relevance to bring people back the way that that Will and Grace and X Files could? It's a good question because, to my uh, knowledge, I don't think Roseanne is available on streaming. So you really on that one really are more coasting on uh, people who love the original series. And I will say that that is one of the things about Roseanne that concerns me a little bit uh, about that revival. Um, As much as I love the show uh, earlier in its run, by the end, when Roseanne was pretty much fully in charge of that show, that's when the wheels fell off and when it got real nuts. And um, even though she's going to bring, you know, she has some other producers on. Whitney Cummings is apparently going to be an executive producer alongside her. So she will have some other people there. But I'm a little concerned about uh, the degree to which she will be in the driver's seat behind the scenes uh, because I think that's, you know, that that kind of spelled uh, the end of the show. So um, that is the area that concerns me a little bit. I do feel like, um, you know, people still have a lot of love for that show. Certainly John Goodman. Roseanne uh, lately is, is more notable for the crazy things she's saying on Twitter, which is also probably not going to be great for when it comes to promoting the series. But um, I will be cautiously optimistic and say if John Goodman's coming back, uh, you know, he he's, you know, I'll put my faith in, in John Goodman and, and the rest of the cast. And hopefully Roseanne will... Uh, you know, she she it will be more early early Roseanne and mid run Roseanne and not and not that that awful last season. Uh, so we mentioned Fox briefly. Anything else exciting out of them? They have uh, the first Marvel series, which they're they're going to launch. Uh, it's called The Gifted, and uh, the pilot was directed by Brian Singer. It's an X it's an X Men uh, spinoff, and Brian Singer, of course, directed four X Men movies. So they have high hopes for that. Um, but beyond that, the the interesting thing out of the Fox's upfront was the degree to which they pretty much minimize their primetime programming. Uh, Their new ad sales chief, Joe Marchese, who just got the job not even a week ago, he kicked off the the event. He talked a lot about new ad initiatives. And then they gave the biggest spotlight to Fox Sports, as they probably should, because between the Super Bowl and that epic seven-game World Series last year, that that helped uh, Fox end up number two in the demo last season. And then, of course, they still have the the strongest NFL schedule out of any of out of any of the networks. So Fox Sports got a really big spotlight. So that, to me, was the bigger news: was the degree to which Fox's regular primetime programming, which has been hurting a little bit, was uh, was minimized. I wanted to uh, cover real quickly. We're not going to walk through all of it. Uh, but we just released our TV hot list. Uh, so this is where Adweek's editors go through and pick in a bunch of different categories, like hottest miniseries, hottest kids show, hottest uh, networks of all variety, hottest new series. Uh, and we just uh, unveiled that this week. A uh, few of the big ones, uh, the hottest new series, Handmaid's Tale, which we, of course, talked about on a recent podcast with Jason. So I'm not going to rehash that too much. Uh, but the hottest uh, streaming video on demand we named Hulu. Uh, I assume those are connected thoughts that uh, it seems like Hulu really has... I, I can't imagine two years ago we ever would have said Hulu in this category. I, I don't think so. And, and Hulu is a company that every year they kind of say, okay, this year we figured it out, and it's usually not the case. And this is the first year where it's like, yeah, you, they actually have figured it out. Not only do they have uh, this amazing new show in The Handmaid's Tale, which, as you said, we talked about previously, but they are also launching this new live TV streaming package, which uh, you know I haven't really had a chance to do a deep dive into it, but seems 
seems to me to be the most uh, the, the most attractive out of all of the live TV options that are out there now. So you really get this sense of uh, the Hulu is kind of has figured things out. They have a new uh, they have a Stephen King uh, new series called Castle Rock that's basically going to be uh, it's going to kind of be like a. The, they're going to go back and, and reimagine uh, all these uh, famous characters and books and movies of his uh, in a new way. So that that sounds great. So they – again, you know, Netflix is still kind of like the, the, the big SVOD on the block and they obviously have the most subscribers and they have the, the biggest shows in a sense. But Hulu really feels like um, it's doing something that nobody else is right now and it's really exciting. One of the ones that we always have fun debating every year is the hottest binge. Uh, so which uh, shows? I mean, this was – honestly, there's just so many options. Uh, I, I will go ahead and say through some pushing on my part, we uh, ended up picking the OA uh, from Netflix, which to me – is one of those classic bingeable shows because you're you're left at the end wondering how much you really liked it because that you know you can't stop watching it then you get to the end and you're like I don't know if I love that or if I hated it but I definitely want to know more about it and I wish there were more episodes and it left you wanting a little more but it still had some conclusion to it uh, without giving away any more than that uh, I'll say that much Christine what is your kind of like hottest binge of the last year um I just binged uh, the second season of Master of None, which was great. Um, loved that. Yeah, the NC's Unsorry show. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that that didn't make that just came out uh, last yeah, weekend. So, so yeah, it just it just missed our list. But yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that's. I feel like if we had a another maybe month to go, you know, our deadline was next month, that that would have been a strong contender because that certainly is the show that um, a lot of people are are just can't stop talking about right now. Yeah, I want to say last year's was Stranger Things. Stranger Things, yeah. That's kind of a classic, mega-bingeable yeah. show. It's like, to me, it's always shows that you can't just watch one episode of. Like, the, the way they end always makes you just like, oh, and then you just, you need to see more of it. I, I am currently, I go in these surges of binging the Americans. Uh, so I'll watch like six episodes, and then it'll just get too heavy, and I'll take like three or four months off, and then... <laughs> And so I'm still plowing through all those back seasons. But you get to an end of that show and you're always angry that it's over. Like you always want more Americans. You know, I find binging to be so much easier with like um, 30 minute episodes instead of the longer 42 or whatever it is, 45 or, um, I, you know, I like Silicon Valley to me is the perfect binge watch show because you can, you can watch, so you know, you can watch another one. It's only 30 minutes, right? Or, or like I just went through Crashing, which is another HBO um, comedy. Those are a lot easier to take. Yeah, I binged the last season of Veep, and it's a great thing to wait until the entire season's over and then just spend like a day or two watching that. If you really want a a hardcore binge, though, not a light one, I recommend the uh, British Baking Show. I binged all three seasons that are on Netflix in about two weeks. It was like, I just that? I've never heard of that. Uh, it's actually called British Bake Off, uh, Great British Bake Off, but uh, because Pillsbury owns the trademark on the phrase Bake Off in America, they had to call it the Great British Baking Show wow. uh, in American markets. Uh, but it is a one-hour, solid 60 minutes, I think, of uh, – con- it's a reality cooking show, uh, but it is very positive. It's outside in a tent, believe it or not, in, in Britain, which was bold. Uh, but it's very positive. Uh, everything's really uplifting. The – I don't know much. I cook a lot, but I don't bake a lot. So that show has been fascinating. But that show is uh, fascinating from an ad sales perspective. It just moved off BBC to uh, 
uh, Channel 4, I think. They're moving to another network, in, which is a big scandal in uh, Britain uh, just because, you know, they had to leave all their BBC talent behind when they switched networks. Uh, but it, they started this ad auction to be the advertiser on the show. I think the minimum bid to be an advertiser on that show was $14 million because that is the biggest phenomenon in Britain right now. Uh, but man, once I, I was like, every time I saw it on Netflix, I wondered how could anyone care so much about British people baking? Then you start watching it. My kids would gather around and they'd get really into it. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing show. So it's like the British top chef. Yeah. Except it's just not, there's no negativity. So it's competitive, but like at the end of every episode, everyone hugs and everyone compliments each other. It's just, it's a nice antidote for kind of where we are as a culture right now. So Gordon Ramsay is not on it. <laughs> that would make a fine cameo, though. Um, all right, well, I'm I, uh, going to let Jason get back to his frenzy of, uh, of upfronts. And uh, any, other, any other big news you want to talk about that's come out of these things we haven't mentioned? Um, you know, I th- w- one thing that was interesting to me, uh, a big difference this year, is that we saw the networks bring back a lot more of kind of bubble shows, you know, which are shows that really could either you know have kind of an equal chance of being canceled or renewed uh and you know what what has used to happen more was that that those shows would be canceled and the networks would say okay you know we we have new shows coming in and we we think that you know maybe these have a better chance of 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 connecting with audiences but now in this world of diminishing returns, we're seeing a lot more of those shows come back and and networks are feeling like you know better the devil we know rather than uh you know, and have a show that may have a smaller fan base, but at least they have a loyal one, rather than bring on a new show that, yes, it could be The Nexus Is Us, but more likely than not, it may end up with a smaller audience than with the show we just canceled. So you have a, a situation like uh, last year, or last week, NBC canceled Timeless, and then three days later, uh, Reverse Course, which a network has never done that quickly, mm-hmm. and uh, announced that it's coming back. And a lot of other very low-rated shows like Quantico, uh, Blind Spot, The Exorcist, that I was fairly certain were going to be canceled, uh, are all coming back for those same reasons. Yeah, it felt like with Timeless, there wasn't even enough time for a a boycott. Not, yeah, you know, like a big consumer backlash. What? motivated them. They just kind of take another look at their schedule and say, you know what, never mind, bring it back. Well, I think one thing that has changed now in the world of social media is that you can make your displeasure known immediately. You know, back in the days of where fans would send something to a sh- to a network's offices that were supposed to represent you know, uh, like a, maybe a prop or something that referred to something in that show. Well, those campaigns would take a week or so to generate. And here, with the uh, the show's creators went on Twitter and said, you know, our show's been it's been canceled, and you know there was just kind of this immediate outpouring, as there had been in, in previous weeks, saying, you know, save timeless, save timeless. So. The fans helped. Uh, another thing that helped is the networks have a little bit of leverage now to go back to these studios, um, you know, who produce the shows and try and get a cut in the licensing fee to make it a little cheaper um, for the networks to air it. And then at the same, t- you know, and then the incentive for the studios is that the longer they're on air, the hope, the longer that they can hopefully recoup their money through selling to an SVOD like Netflix or Hulu or you know use or syndication, although syndication isn't quite what it used to be. So there's an incentive for everybody to keep try to keep these shows on the air and hope that they you know either broaden their audience or at least just stay on long enough to make more money for people. So we're just seeing these shows stay on the air longer. I think every network that we've talked to so far has said that they have brought more shows back than they have in years. Man, why couldn't Firefly have been made in 2017? If Firefly got a movie, which not 
you know, very few shows, especially shows that didn't even last a season. You know, <laughs> yeah, they couldn't do, finish so. the season, but they got a movie uh, yes. and also yeah. graphic novels and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they did okay for themselves. All right. Well, thank you, Jason, for that roundup, and we'll let you get back to it. Definitely check out on adweek.com. You can click on our TV and video section to keep track of everything we're covering from the upfronts. So many updates. Uh, lots more to come uh, throughout the week and throughout the month. Uh, so thank you, Tim. Thank you, Christine, for joining us this week. A few little announcements, things we've got coming up. We've got our Graduate's Guide to Marketing and Media. So if you know anyone who's going to be graduating soon and heading into those industries, tell them to keep a close eye on adweek.com. we got a big package about that. We're going to be looking at superstars in the MarTech industry. And then we've got uh, our CAN issue coming up very soon. It's going to have our Creative 100, where we look at the 100 most creative professionals in America uh, and uh, preview this year's CAN Lions Festival. So a whole lot coming up. And uh, drop us a note. We love hearing your questions. We love hearing what you're interested in, your responses to the episodes. We're at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Our theme music is by home. This week's episode was produced by Christina Monlos. Uh, please take a moment, if you have not, to review us on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate it. Thanks so much from the Adweek Newsroom. I'm David Greiner, and we will talk to you next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.